Yenamuyela, which is welcome in Zulu. <laughs> that one was one of my toughest so far. I'm sure I will stump myself more in the future with some other languages, but welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the creator and your podcast host. Today, I am, I, I don't even really have the perfect adjective for it. I am very proud to have this person as a guest. I am very honored. I'm a lot of things about this guest because this is somebody that has come to be a guest on the show via somebody that I did not know. So Kit, thank you. You know who you are. But I put a call out a little while ago. I wanted to try and start getting some people on the show that, I'm sorry, Bruce, that I listed on Twitter as I'm looking for some heroes for the show to tell some of their experiences and stories to inspire us and to show us how, and I will steal a quote from Bruce, how it is that ordinary citizens can do extraordinary things. Very good sentence from Bruce. So today, I am sitting down with Bruce Mendelson. Bruce was present on the day of the Boston Marathon bombing, and he was there. He was basically very close to the finish line, right across from where one of the bombs went off. And he tells his entire story of that day and of how it changed his life on that day and moving forward, as well as what effect it has on his being a dad and what his being a dad possibly played into it as well. And the outlook basically for parenting in general. And it's a, a very, very good conversation to be had. And I'm very excited to, again, to be having this opportunity to speak with Bruce and to make it public here for all of you to hear. It was really a very humbling thing to be able to get in touch with him. And so I hope you all enjoy this conversation with myself and Bruce for this episode of Daddy Unscripted. Before I even get started, I, I just wanted to thank you um, for, for the opportunity to be on Daddy Unscripted. And I, I've listened to some of the interviews that you've done uh, with other folks, and you really treat, it seems like you interview people nicely, and they have a lot of uh, interesting things to say. Uh, for men and for women and fathers and mothers, so I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I, I always like to say that there's really no mar- no manual for parenting, so we kind of chart the smoothest course we can, and we hope for the best. Uh, and I, I kind of get a kick out of all the posts on social media on around Father's Day when people post stuff like, oh, thanks to the best dad in the world, I'd never be the man, father, person, husband I am today without his advice, guidance, or help, or whatever. You know, And, and I, I tend to write, if I write anything at all, I tend to write... You know, thanks to my dad who did the best he could. So, you know, really, yeah. <laughs> really in the end, you know, I, I think we do the best we can. And uh, I think this is your contribution to doing the best you can. So uh, thanks for that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's been it's been a really cool little thing so far. And I'm hoping it continues and I get to hear, you know, a lot of other people's stories. I mean, I'm I'm getting a lot out of it as well. So it's a good thing. Dads need advice. So I'll, yeah. I'll share with you, I'll share with you, uh, you know, my story about where I was and what I did at the 2013 marathon. But I really wanted to preface my, my remarks with, with kind of two things. The first is that I'm really uncomfortable with being called a hero. Uh, I, I know that in our society, we try to, you know, we look for people to describe as heroes and that's, that's like a pursuit. But I really think that the, the, the heroes that day and every day are the, are the folks who put their lives on the line. You know, every day to protect and serve ordinary citizens like us, you know, whether they're police officers or firefighters or EMTs or whatever, you know, they, they leave their houses every day and they don't know if they're going to come back and their spouses don't know, their kids don't know. So to me, that's, that really is like the true meaning of heroism. They, they do it every day. That kind of selflessness and, and devotion uh, really inspired me, I think, in part to do what I did. Uh, and it inspires me every day still. And the second, the second caveat is that, uh, and, and people have asked me this question a lot. So I have a daughter from my first marriage, um, and she's 14 at the time, this is six years ago. So she was probably, 
Eight? Yeah. So had, had she and my current spouse been at the marathon that day, I would have done things 100% differently. And that would have been that I would have gotten them out of there as quickly as I could have. Um, and people ask me that question. So, you know, the fact that they weren't there really changed uh, what I did. So, um, like I said, I'll get back to that day in a second. Right now, I do, I'm a communications, marketing, and branding consultant. Um, I help organizations with their messaging, uh, with their branding, and with their positioning in the market. Um, I help them maintain consistency of their messages, uh, and that contributes to more profits, uh, more sales, uh, more fundraising. Um, I also do a lot of coaching uh, for media uh, among CEOs and boards. I do a lot of crisis communications because uh, you know, with the speed that the media works today, uh, if you don't have a crisis communications plan, you're setting yourself up for failure and for, for reputation damage. So uh, that's what I do. And, and in fact, certainly those lessons, the stuff that I advise people on was really helpful uh, in the wake of the marathon. Mm-hmm. So at the time of the marathon, it was 2013, uh, I was working at MIT in an engineering leadership group. This was in the School of Engineering, uh, and we were uh, developing leadership skills in MIT students, MIT engineering undergraduates. Uh, we believe that there's a certain set of skills that are germane to engineering leaders. So everybody, many people can agree on what basic leadership skills are, but we went a step further and said, well, what are the skills that engineering undergraduates need to know when they go out into the world? Whether it's you know on their own or as a part of a team or in a company, these are things like integrity, loyalty, urgency, and will to deliver. Uh, this issue of force, what kind of force you bring to a uh, to a uh, a decision and to a team. Uh, the idea that you can lead from any chair in an organization. You don't need to be at the head chair to lead. There's informal leadership, and and we did this by, and this is relevant because it, it kind of informs what I did that day. So. We didn't, we didn't just get up in front of a lectern and said, okay, we're going to give you 150 slides. And after the end of these 150 slides, you're going to have ethics. No, we actually put these uh, engineering undergraduates into scenarios where there were, you know, there were stakes at hand. And if they, you know, the, the longer and longer they tried to make a decision, they, they lost more money or more people died. I mean, this was the nature of the scenario. So, so we did that. We also assessed them. So it's kind of a military model. Um, the guy who was in charge of the program was a, was a former lieutenant colonel. I, of course, was in the, mil- in the military. So we were all familiar with this model. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting to, to uh, see the light go off among some of the smartest kids in the world. You know, they couldn't think their way out of a solution. They actually had to get together with other people to do that. Uh, that's what I was doing at the time. Uh, and so my office was within – my office was probably a mile, a mile or two from uh, from um, uh, the finish line. And my younger brother was running the marathon. My younger brother is uh, is a um, – he's an attorney in New York, and he's also like half my size, so he's a really fast runner. Uh, <laughs> I'm a runner too. Uh, I've run 18 marathons, but Aaron is a much faster runner than I am. So he was – he qualified for Boston, and uh, and I went down to meet him at the finish line. Now, people will tell you, many people from Boston will tell you, look, there are three places on, uh, on Marathon Monday that, you ne- that anybody in Boston doesn't want to be. And that's like anywhere near the finish line <laughs> and mm-hmm. anywhere downtown and anywhere on the Mass Pike, right? Or in Brookline. Because yeah. basically the marathon bisects the whole city from Hopkinton all the way down to, to the Common. And so if you need to get from one side of the city to the other, you can't. I, I didn't, you know, I had never gone down to the finish line. I really wasn't interested, but I had taken my wife to the airport that morning. And so I said, okay, well, I'll go to work uh, and I'll do a couple hours of work and then I'll meet Aaron at the finish line. So um, I knew some folks on the Boston police, uh, Boston police department. And, uh, you know, I went down to the finish line. I talked with them and I found my way to the finish line, right to the finish line um, where I met my younger brother. And we went uh, around the, you know, the backside to like a VIP tent um, where I knew some other folks. Uh, and then he gathered all the stuff and we went to this post-race party at 667 Boylston Street, which uh, if you'll see from the photos, I sent, I sent you a couple photos. One of the photos is overlooking, is, is exactly where I was sitting. Uh, I was sitting on a futon. I was, you know, drinking an adult beverage. This was at a firm that was 
had its office. They always had a post-race party, uh, and they had their office uh, on the third floor of this building at 667 Boylston Street. It was – if you're looking from the finish line, it's up and to the left. So this was probably 10, maybe 30 feet above and 10 feet to the uh, right street side of uh, of where the bomb went off um, wow. right near a, a post office box, as, as I recall. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm sitting in the window, and um, and the the window was open. So I was sitting on a futon, and uh, and there's this boom. And next thing I know, I'm on the floor. Whether I can't remember the order, but I was on the floor. Now whether I hit the floor because of my training or hit the floor because of the shock, the shock wave, I don't know. And then there was a minute where where everybody was like, "What the hell was that? You know, was that a manhole cover? Was it a?" You know, was it the mic? Was it who knows what it could be? The last mm-hmm. thought in anybody's mind was, you know, that's a that's a bomb. Right. Um, and I smelled. So I smelled it. I smelled the, uh, you know, the cordite, the accelerant. And, and I said, I said, oh, that was a suicide bomber. I mean, immediately I made that connection where I was like that. That was that wasn't that wasn't an accident. That was a, a, a bomb. Like I thought right. it was a suicide bomber. So, uh, so I yell, so everybody runs to the windows. There are like 50 people at this party. Everybody runs to the windows to see what's going on. So I yell, get back from the windows. There's going to be another. And as soon as I said, there's another, there's going to be another, the second one went off. And that's when things got, uh, that's when things got really crazy. Um, the first one, nobody knew the second one, people started knowing. So I was, I was looking out the window, uh, you know, at the time I'd gotten up, I lo- I'm looking out the window because I went to the window too, right? I want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, of course, I say to my younger brother, once the second one went off, when the second bomb went off, I said to my younger brother, "Look, get all these guys out of here because there was a back stairwell on a fire, like a fire, a fire stairwell, a fire escape." I said, "Listen, you got to get get everybody out of here because if they don't leave now, they're never leaving." So, so mm-hmm. he he corrals everybody. I'm yelling to people, "Get out!" He gets them out, and then you know they're kind of on their way out. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm going downstairs to see what I can do to help." Um, I <laughs> so in the wake of this, I've thought a lot about this. Obviously, over the last you know uh, four or five years, yeah, um, I'm sure. I feel as as a as a man, and and perhaps some of the people listening today will will feel will will understand this is that you know in in our in our uh, in our society we don't. As men, and I'm going to say this, right? We we don't as men really have an opportunity to to kind of kind of prove who we are uh, at at it, at our most fundamental level, right? What what are we made of? What what will we do when when that moment, capital T, capital M, comes in our lives that that says, okay, we 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 need to do something, right? How how do we respond when when this big moment comes up. And for me, I always, I always ask myself a question, you know, what would I do in a life or death situation? I don't know mm-hmm. why I asked myself that question, but th- this was important to me. And I never really had that life or death situation in the military, but you know, you have to think about it as, as a leader of soldiers. I always thought about it. You know, what would I do if one of my soldiers was caught in a firefight and I had to go get my soldier, whatever. So these are things that you think about. And, and I, I always wondered what I would do. Um, but at the time that, that was, that didn't factor in my consideration at all. I just said, look, I have some training. I think I know what's going on downstairs. Let me see what I can do to help. So this is probably three to five minutes after the, both bombs exploded. I'm, I run downstairs, of course, didn't have my phone. I left my phone upstairs. I run downstairs. I push open the door because of course you can't take the elevator. The elevator is off. Um, I run down these three flights of stairs. I push open the door. And there's glass everywhere. That's the first thing I remember seeing is glass and the reflection of the sun off the glass and the reflection off the sun off of red glass. Mm-hmm. And the red glass was, was, was glass that was, you know, stained with blood. And so um, I look over my right shoulder as I push out, I push up, open the door. I look over my, and it was quiet then at that point, not really quiet, but it, I don't, they say that like, you know, you, you, you know, everything slows down for me. It didn't slow down. I think the difference is when they say that the stuff slows down is that all the extraneous, uh, you know, factors that play into our life that demand our attention, those fall away. And so I think that, that, that is what they mean. Like, you know, when 
everything slows down. For me, it didn't, it didn't slow down. It was just that I was so focused on what was in front of me that I didn't think of anything else. Mm -hmm. So, so I look over my right shoulder and, uh, and I see this, this, this body half in and half out of this, uh, candy store. It's called sugary heaven. And, uh, and, and the upper torso is in the store. The lower torso is outside of the store and there's blood pulsing from, uh, from, from the leg, the left leg of, I think it was the left leg. I can't eh, left leg. I don't know. Um, it's in the picture. I think it's a left leg. Uh, so there's this blood, blood is pulsing out and it's pulsing out. I remember seeing this. So I'm like, well, shit, this, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm like, this, okay. this person's, this person's bleeding. This person is bleeding out. So I'm like, they need a tourniquet right now. In the military, we train for, you know, combat medicine and combat, all this other stuff, you know, like emergency action. What do you do? I'm like, oh, tourniquet. And I had, I had never put on a tourniquet in battle. I'm not a combat medic, but you know, you do something enough, it becomes muscle memory. So I look down and I look around. I'm like, oh, there's like a t-shirt or a towel or something. So I run over and, uh, you know, I, I run over to this, it, as it turns out, it's a girl. And, uh, and I, you know, I ask her if she's okay. She's in shock. She doesn't know what's going on. Um, and, and so I take this tourniquet and I put it around her lower left leg, right below her knee, you know, and then, and, and the firefighter runs by and I, and I say, Hey, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta medevac this, this girl. She's in shock. I put a tourniquet around her lower left leg. Um, yeah, I don't know how much blood she lost, but she's lost a lot of blood because she was pale and everything. Anyway, mm -hmm. so, uh, the firefighter comes and, uh, uh, picks her up, cradles her in her arms. And this becomes one of the iconic photos of the marathon, right? This wow. firefighter, Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. Plourd, Boston firefighter, who's also a father of two girls. And I'll get to that in a second. So remind me to talk about Jimmy because it's very interesting what happens with Jimmy, um, and Victoria. So Jimmy picks up Victoria, who was this girl I, I later found out. I didn't know what her name was at the time, and I didn't. She was wounded. She got medevaced. She was out of there. So then I I see like a like a little boy. Yeah, I see a boy, and he's kind of wa walk wandering around, and and I I go up to him, and I'm like, hey, what what? Hey, what's you know what's your name? What are you doing? Um, and he says, I can't find my mommy. So I said, let's go stand over here, and I'm gonna go try to find your mommy. So of course, you know, you hear. You know, this, 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 uh, you know, this mother screaming for her boy. So I said, your son is over here, grab him, get out of here. Uh, and then I start helping, uh, load some people onto ambulances and, and about 10 or 12 minutes after, uh, 10 or 12 minutes after the second bomb went off or, you know, 10 or 12 minutes after both bombs went off, um, the scene is kind of, uh, stabilizing, you know, there aren't many, there aren't many more casualties, uh, there. And this, I recall him as being huge. Um, maybe he wasn't that huge, but he seemed pretty big to me. Uh, mm. This giant SWAT guy, Boston Police Department SWAT guy, comes up to me and says, "Hey, who the who the f are you?" And mm. I go, "I go, look, I'm I'm a you know I'm a veteran. I'm here. I was helping. You know, uh, you know, I was trying to help. Uh, you know, load people onto ambulances and and just trying to you know help help you guys in any way I can." And he said, "Listen, if you want to help, you need to get the you need to get the hell out of here." So I go back into the office. You know, I go back up the three flights of stairs. Um, I, my brother's waiting for me there, thankfully. Uh, and I grab my phone and I lean out the window and I take a picture, right? Because I, I'm a communicator and, and I knew yeah. that I knew that they had closed off the street. People were still running. Um, nobody knew what was going on outside of that two block radius. So I tweeted, I tweeted this photo bomb at the Boston marathon finish line, you know, casualties unknown, and then I, I just tweet it, and then we go out the back staircase. We go out the fire escape. We walk down the three flights of stairs uh, in the back, down this alley, um, take a right onto. Anyway, we we walk away from the 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 site of the explosions. People are still running down Newbury Street because they they didn't know, and we're and and so people are everybody's trying to get out of that area while people are trying to get in, and so I'm I'm telling people, look, you you know, get out of here. You need to get out yeah. of here. And, and so we walk down to the Harvard Bridge, which is probably about uh, six or eight blocks from 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 where we were uh, at the finish line. And my phone rings, and and I'm like, well, that's that's odd, right? Because they had shut down. I knew that you know the SOP is to shut down all the phone lines in, into right. that area. So anyway, my phone rings, and it's a reporter from the New York Times, and they say, "Are you Bruce Mendelson?" I said, "Well, yeah." Uh, Did you tweet that photo from the Boston Marathon finish line? I said, "Yeah." 
And they said, well, what did you see? You know, there are reports about, uh, you know, metal casings and, uh, 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 bull, you know, BBs, metal BBs. And this, I said, look, I said, and they said, oh, well, there are multiple casualties. We're hearing reports of dozens of deaths. I said, look, I, I saw three, maybe seven wounded people. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see anybody dead. And, and so they said, thanks, whatever they, uh, they, AP gets a hold of this photo. They retweet the photo. And that's so, so that's when, like, I started getting calls from the media, uh, for the next couple of days. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so this is Monday. Uh, we go back to, uh, MIT. Uh, my younger brother takes a shower. Uh, I'm back in my office, you know, and, uh, and my phone is ringing this, this, this me, this organization, this media organization. I can't get a hold yeah. of my wife because my wife, interestingly, is on a flight from Boston to Florida via BWI. And she lands oh, at BWI. And of course, everybody pulls open their phones, check on their phones. And there's a collective gasp. And she doesn't yeah. have reception. So she's like, what, what, what's, what happened? And, and of course, the word spreads that, there's a, that there was a bomb at the Boston Marathon finish line. She knew I was there. Uh, and so, so she gets off the plane and she gets paged. Right. She gets paged. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I come to find this out later that day. She gets paged and she's like, you know, paging, paging, blah. Uh, and, and, and so she goes to the customer service counter and she says, is, is he dead? What, 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 what's the matter with my husband? Is he dead? She thought you know, I was dead. Um, yeah. and they said, no, we, we just want to give you, we just want to see if you want an upgrade. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> I come to find this out later. So she, <laughs> yeah, I finally get in touch with her. Uh, I get in touch with my ex-wife. Uh, I get in touch with my parents. You know, we tell everybody that we're okay. Um, this started that Monday started almost a week of, of almost like nonstop media uh, focus. Um, mm-hmm. But the most interesting part of, of the media was uh, I got a call on, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. And, and it was from, you know, good morning America. And they said, uh, can you come down to Jamaica Plain uh, and and talk with us about what you saw and what you did that day? So I said, okay. You know, I went down to, J- to JP. It's not that far. I go to this fire station. I, wa- I park my car, I walk into the fire station, and there he is, right? There's the firefighter who took this girl that I had, oh, that I had put a tourniquet on. I, I didn't know. He didn't know. We had like this moment where, Oh my God, it's you. And he says, Oh, oh my God, it's you. The reporters didn't even know that, that this yeah. had happened. So, so I'm talking with him and, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, whatever, we're talking about what we did, what happened to the girl. The reporter tracks down the girl in the hospital. He tracks down the woman who cared for her, uh, when, when Jimmy brought her to the medical tent. This is, um, this is, uh, Alicia Shambo, who was, who was a Navy medic. Um, <laughs> And and he gets another guy who comforted her, Tyler. He gets Tyler, uh, and so all four of us on Thursday meet at the hospital where Victoria is, right? Wow. So we meet at the hospital, and Victoria's parents are there, and the news, of course, is there because that this is a you know this is a great story for the news, right? Right. Oh yeah. But we anyway. So 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 the doctor says he says, well, who who is the who's the guy who put the tourniquet on? And I said, oh, you know, that was me, doc. And he says, well, here are the x-rays. And, and if you hadn't gotten to her within another 30 or 60 seconds, she would have bled out. And oh, wow. that, was, that, was, that was the moment where the last, everything that had happened in the past four days really, really kind of caught up with me. Because I hadn't been sleeping. You know, I, I mean, my wife wasn't around, so I wasn't really sleeping. I wasn't really eating yeah. very well. I was trying to process all this stuff. I mean, the media attention, whatever. Um, so that was really the moment where it, where it hit me like, wow, uh, you know, uh, and, and of course, the, the, the terrible story about this is that Victoria subsequently died uh, in a car crash in Dubai. Uh, oh. This was in 2015. So, you know, we, 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 we got Victoria two, three years, which is, which is really sad because, you know, not only is Victoria, was Victoria a beautiful person, but as long as she was out there in the world – I really felt that that was something good that, that we did. You know, we, mm-hmm. four people who never knew each other got together and, and, and helped save this, this girl. 
Um, yeah. So, well, so I, I have to get back to Jimmy because Jimmy, Jimmy was very close with Victoria. Jimmy was closer to Victoria than, than any of us were because I, I think he, she, I think came to when, when he was carrying her. And so mm-hmm. they had a real bond and, and Victoria ended up, uh, you know, being like the godmother to one of Jimmy's kids and babysitting for her, for his two girls. And, and when Victoria died, it, it really, uh, it hit Jimmy, uh, especially hard. Um, yeah. and so Jimmy is actually raising funds to do a play, to build a playground, um, for, for, uh, in Victoria's name. Um, uh, and Jimmy is, That's cool. when you, at the top of the conversation, when I talked about heroes, I mean, the guy goes out every day and, uh, right. you know, fights fires. I mean, this is, this is the hero. I I'm just somebody who was in the, you know, in the wrong place at the right time. How, how does this kind of, uh, I guess the next question is, you know, how does this figure into, into my, my ideas on fatherhood and, and, and manhood? Uh, and, and in terms of fatherhood, you know, my, my, my real, my, my first thought on this is that, you know, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, had my kids, had my daughter and my, 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 my wife been there, I would have done something different and they weren't, um, so I ended up doing this, but, but that, you know, Victoria was somebody's daughter and, and, mm-hmm. you know, Martin Richard was, was somebody's son. Uh, and, and I think that what distinguishes, uh, and you don't have to be a man or a woman. This isn't, you know, this isn't a gender issue because there were plenty of women out there who were, who were rushing to the aid. And, and this isn't a, a courage or cowardice issue either. Because, you know, some people, some people got the hell out of the area. They were probably the smart ones. You know, it's yeah, the, yeah. the ones who went in, you know, when you, when you, when you rush in, who knows if there was another bomb, who knows what could have happened. I didn't think about that at all. Um, what I thought was honestly that there were, there were people who needed help and, and I was in a position to offer help. What help that could be, what, what form that help uh, or shape that help took, it, it didn't ma- matter to me, but it was, it mattered to me that, that I did do something. Um, and, and, uh, you, you know, in terms of my fatherhood, I, I never thought about, you know, like, oh, well, what would my daughter think if I didn't do something? I right, thought, yeah. I thought that, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is what we do as, as, as a society. And this is, I think what, what, what distinguishes us, um, um, and I, by us, I mean, Americans as a, as a society and that, that we, we we try to be helpful uh to to people we don't know and we try to be generous of of time and and our spirit uh and our expertise and and that that's a that's a human issue it's not a male or or a female issue um you know as i said earlier in terms of the male issue you know to me that was that was the one moment in my life where every everything was crystal clear to me um Mm-hmm. And and so since then, uh, quite honestly, I, I wouldn't call this PTSD, but since then, uh, I've been struggling with what I want to make of that moment. Right? How I can yeah. kind of yeah. how I can kind of convey that into into uh, helping other people or or inspiring other people or or just just you know, serving as, as an example of what ordinary citizens can do. You don't have to be, you know, a, a, uh, you know, a trained professional it certainly helps, but you know, there, there are ways that people can help. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, that's been a struggle for me is, is, you know, since then is, is, you know, finding my, my niche in society. And I think that, that all of us, again, you know, this isn't a male or female issue, but I think that uh, men in particular uh, of a certain age, and I'm 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 reaching that age. I think around fifty, where we look back at our lives and we say, "Well, what do I have to show for, you know, these the mm-hmm. past fifty years? You know, what what have I done? What's my mark?" Um, it, some people define their mark by the accumulation of wealth. Some people find their mark by you know um, uh, fatherhood or by service in the government or in the military. I think those things are great. I don't know what my my mark is and I, and I'm trying to kind of use what I did as a, as a stepping stone into, into something else. I don't know what that is. Now I talk a lot to 
to men and, and women and kids. I mean, I love talking to the kids about, about what happened that day because kids have no guile, right? So you, right. you can't, uh, yeah. you know, you can't really, you can't fool them and, and they ask great questions. And mm-hmm. the, the question I often get from kids is, well, well, wh- why did you do that? And I said, I, 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 I generally say to them, as I said to my, my, my parents when they asked me, I said, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I think the, the example is that when I talk to the kids, certainly I say, look, the, there are ways that you can help other people. It doesn't have to be this way, but there are ways that you can help other people. And that's what, what bonds us together uh, as a society. And I think when you start seeing the cracks in those bonds, as we're seeing now, that it, it, it makes us less strong as a society and less strong and weaker as a country. And, and that really bothers me. So, yeah. so in the, in the last couple of years, you know, I, I, the media has kind of tailed off when Victoria, when Victoria died in that car crash in Dubai, um, the media, you know, I did maybe one interview. And after that, I just, I, I was, I was done with it because there's an inflection point between sharing my, sharing my story and, being too much and it being, you know, about me. It's, it's not about me, right? It, it, this is not about me. And, and, and I felt right. like I'm getting too, like too self-promote about this. Mm-hmm. Patriot's Day came out. Um, I waited about two weeks to see it. I saw it with my wife uh, last Friday. Um, and it was very, it was very powerful. And then it brought back some memories of what, what happened that day. Um, and also about Sean because at MIT, I knew Sean, and I, I saw Sean yeah. two hours before he got shot uh, on on uh, early Friday morning. I saw him. He was in a squad car outside a, a the student center, state of student center, um, and uh, you know he's just sitting in a squad car. And because you know I've, I, I worked with police officers before in Washington D.C. and you know I I knew most of the MIT officers. You know I sat, I talked with him for like five or ten minutes just to see how he was doing, whatever. Um, so I was very close to this. So I. You know, I saw the movie. I, I I think Wahlberg did a great job. I think Peter Berg picked the stories that he wanted to pick for a reason. Uh, there are many, right, there are yeah. many, many stories uh, of that day. Some are more powerful than others. I held it together until the very end of the movie when they when they did some of those interviews and they dedicated it to you know Crystal and Martin and Lingzi and Sean. And, and those are the those are the physical casualties, right? But the you know the the the, the the psychological toll of this continues. And, and I think that, that the right. this moniker, you know, this moniker Boston struck, and, and forgive me if I'm, if I'm rambling on, just tell me to shut up. Um, <laughs> you know, the, this, this, this moniker, uh, this, this hashtag Boston strong that came up. I, I love that. Like I'm originally from DC uh, and I, I had felt, I moved up here in 2006 uh, to get married to my college sweetheart, my, my, my current wife. And I loved being from DC but I got to tell you, the folks up here, and they they love Boston, and it's infectious. Uh, mm-hmm. And I never felt like I was a part of of the community until that day, and and now I kind of feel as as crazy as these people do about you know Boston, uh, but mm-hmm. you know, the Red Sox and the Patriots and that whole thing, right? I I bought into that hook, line, and sinker. Um, I say <laughs> yeah. hook, line, and sinker. You know the Boston Strong thing is 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 almost a demand, and it, it it's almost like a this this burden because you know we want to heal and we want the people to heal so quickly that for some of these guys for some of these guys and gals it's almost like a, a demand. You know they have to get better because mm-hmm. when they get better, we get better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think that that's you know you got to give people time. You got to give people time to heal, and people heal in their own ways. Um, I love the idea of, of how, you know, that Monday has become like a day of service. Um, and, and, uh, and I think that's a wonderful thing. I think one of the things that, that all of us can do is, is, is serve our communities, particularly, uh, um, you know, men, husbands, fathers, they need to be visible, uh, and be out in the community helping, uh, other kids uh, or helping kids, uh, as role models. Uh, and and giving of their time and expertise. Uh, that's yeah. that's one of the things that that has become uh, very evident to me uh, is that I want to be uh, involved in the community and 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 sharing my expertise. You know, whether it's two hands or 
you know, strong back or whatever it is, you know, I want to help others. I think that's where ultimately my mark will be made. I don't think they're going to, you know, put on my gravestone. He worked hard or he made a lot of money. You know, if they put on, he served, yeah. if they put on, he served, that's, you know, he, he was, he was, he was a good man. I think that's important. And I, I think that's the most yeah. important thing because ultimately at the end of the day, you, know, you can't take this stuff with you. You can take your reputation with you and your reputation matters. I mean, we talk about this in the military, you know, you're, you're your reputation. It matters what you do and what you say. Uh, and, and these terms like ethics and integrity, they, they matter not just to others, but, but to you, to, to, to us uh, as men, yeah. as men. Okay. Yeah. And to, and to you your family and <laughs> generations and all that, you know, I mean, it's something that like I, I frequently use the word legacy and I've talked about it on some of my other episodes about a very good friend of mine who um, died some years ago. And, and that word never meant really that much to me until he died. And I was kind of thinking about that and, you know, what What you're talking about, about trying to find this niche that all of this can allow you to support and help others and train, teach, whatnot, you know, use this as a benefit. And I guess it's something that we will never know until our last breath. And many times, not even then, you know what I mean? Like you have so many people that you touched in your life and that you in some way made a difference, even if it's, I don't know, the mailman that you were extremely friendly to and you were the only nice person on the block right. you and never you know. like made his day worth it. Yeah, you'll you'll never know with so many of them. And that's OK. So that's OK. You, what, right. what you do when no one's looking counts. And, and had and, and I got to say this because this is important. And I, I've said this before, even had. None of this media exposure happened, and and I was just another one of the many, many people, and I wasn't the only one. There were many, many people who rushed in, did what they could, and then got the hell out of there. Even if none of this had happened, I, I know what I did, right? Even if I'd never met yeah. Victoria or Jimmy or any of those guys, you know, if I never had struck up a friendship with Alicia, I know what I did, and that's enough for me. I don't have to. Yeah. I don't have to justify my myself to you know to other people. Uh, I don't have to defend myself to other people. Um, you know, and 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 I think one of, one of the things that's come out of this is you know some people have said, oh well, oh you'll love this. So <laughs> um, and maybe your listeners will too. So after this, you know, of course there are, there are conspiracy theorists about the Boston Marathon. You know, this was like right. a, a Zionist plot or whatever. So, of course, I'm a person of Jewish faith, and my Jewish faith is very important to me. And and I became a Zionist character actor, right? And, and there's there's like yeah. this whole blog about Bruce Mendelssohn, the Zionist character actor, and and you oh know, these God. people, okay, you know they you know, they have uh, you know the right to free speech, and they can put in whatever they want. But uh, you know, one of these guys, I'm following this blog because I find it really interesting. You know, I'm. I'm I'm this, you know, I served in the Mossad and and I was in the military and I was a medic and you know, I worked at Baltimore Hebrew University and I, you know, work I worked at Friends of the IDF or whatever. And so on this blog post he said this, you know, this big fat liar. So I wrote I wrote a comment. I said, "Look, I I I agree with everything you said except for your assertion that I'm fat because I'm really not fat." <laughs> So anyway, uh, you know, but 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 there's there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion around around this issue, and and there is a lot there's a lot of uh, I think some some hatred to some of the folks involved. Uh, you know, we make heroes, but we also want to break heroes. Right. That's that's heroism. You know, we we like to see people. Uh, you know, we like to see people uh, fail. Sadly, yeah, sadly, it's, it's a very 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 sad thing about humanity with that, and especially in the face of these people who who do so many great things or have done an amazing act on the on a day or that day or whatever and to not only the crazy human nature of trying to break people down and wanting to whittle a conspiracy theory out of things or whatnot doing it in the face of and and to and about people who are doing completely selfless acts and 
you know, doing amazing things in the face of basically in the face of death, you know, is so sad is very sad. It's it, that's trolling at its worst. And, you know, it's, I know a lot of that is in our current day and age because of social media and, um, the ability to type whatever you want into your phone or your computer, but it's just, that's like the opposite end of how some of this can make you feel so good about that other side of human nature. You know, the, the side that does see somebody jump in and, you know, do what you did and what so many other people did and kind of casting aside self-security really. Yeah, I didn't even, I mean, look, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I appreciate people's, uh, people's, people's right to protest or say what they want. Um, but again, you know, I, I go back to, you know, I, I know what I did. I know where I was. I know what I did. I know. I, I think I have a decent idea of, uh, of, of who I am. Uh, it's, it's the, the next steps that, that to me are, are, are challenging. And I also wanted to say that the things that matter to most people, and this is a problem for me at, 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 at in, you know, my career, the things that people think are life and death to me are not life and death because I've seen life and death. Mm-hmm. Right. So don't, don't, <laughs> you know, when people say this is the, this is your top priority and this is the most urgent thing. And we got to get this done because if, if we don't get this done, you know, if we don't get this done, what are people going to die in the military? Yes, they will. In law enforcement, perhaps they will. And firefighter. Yeah. That's where life and death is. But you know what? If the TPS report doesn't get done, it's not a matter of life and death. You know, yeah. do do the best you can. But, you know, when we yeah. start talking about, well, I got to get this, you know, I got to get my next yacht and I got to go to the Hamptons or I got to go to, you know, Vale or Aspen. And, you know, your life isn't depending on it. Neither of those life, lives of your spouse or your kids. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I, I have a decent idea of what life and death is. You know, so uh, <laughs> that's kind of it. I also don't I, I certainly don't take um, many, many risks as I used to. I don't like crowds. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, I'm from DC. My, I really wanted to go to the, to the, uh, to the March last Sunday, but I do not like crowds. Uh, I'm very, I'm hyper aware of my surroundings all the time. I have a sense of not like a spidey sense, but I have a sense of when, you know, when, when the mood of a crowd is turning South, uh, you know, I get the hell out of there. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, th- those are some of the those are some of the uh, the after effects of uh, uh, of what happened, you know, in Boston that day. So, and I think I think it's important for for us as as men again, and I, I say this without any reservation. And I think it's important for us as men to take care of the people we love, and if that means you know saying you know what I, I don't this doesn't feel right to me, and this isn't just men who feel this way, but I think we we have a I mean I I, I don't know, but I personally have like this this fight or flight mechanism that really kicks in and, and I'll, I'll say to mm-hmm. something, I'll say to my wife, I'll say, you know, Hey Heather, I don't like the way this is. I don't like the, I don't like the direction this is going in. And she normally, you know, she'll, she'll say, okay, well, I trust your judgment here. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, something, you know, it's not like a bomb goes off, but you know, something happens. So there's like a, a riot or tear gas or whatever. I just, mm-hmm. I don't want to be involved in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah. I think with a lot of us, kind of to what you're saying, there is that very important protection of, of our loved ones and those that we care about. And then there is that second step, which is basically, you know, a word that I've used a couple of times on here. And I, I say that I never, ever hear this word spoken. Like I used to hear it, I think more so because when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor. And so I heard it a lot, but human kindness is a word that like, I never hear people utter and is something that has really kind of fallen by the wayside big time. It's sad. It's, it's really, it's really sad. And I think that we, we, we can't rely on the, you know, the government to bring it back. We have to bring it back. We have to, you know, represent and advocate for the things that we feel are important. It starts, you know, at home and then it starts out in your community, wherever it is in your church. And it doesn't even have to be a faith issue. This is, this is a, this is a humanity issue. And I right. really think that we're like at this, we're like this critical juncture in our, in our nation's history and perhaps in human history 
where if we continue down the road, we're just going to, you know, we're going to continue to be mean to each other and, and, and yeah. to the people we love and to, to our, to other countries. And look, I'm not saying everybody should be nice all the time. Right. I mean, if you asked me like about national defense, I could tell you, but I think that it's important to be considerate and, and kind and generous of, of spirit or, or philanthropy or, or what do something that makes your community, your family, your world a better place. And, and if I, if that's what I did on Marathon Monday, then I'm glad. And if I can convey that to something in the future, I'll be even happier. Yeah. Well, uh, you definitely have done it in my little bit of experience with you for me. You definitely have had that effect on me and I appreciate and, and am very grateful for that. I'm really, I have to give a shout out. I think we came together because of kit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so these, so this is what I mean. Like we, we all have like a little community now. Uh, and so, and so we all kind of, uh, you know, keep in touch. I don't know all of us, but, but a couple of us keep in touch with each other. And that's, that's another really, uh, uh, positive outcome of what happened that day. I have a, I have a group of friends who I, uh, you know, I, I really feel a kinship with and that's, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that she, that she even thought of me. That was very kind of her. Yeah. I, I'm going to send her a big thank you now that we've had this and make sure that uh, I send a little something her way. Um, so uh, thank you very much for coming on, Bruce. It's been fantastic. Your story is is amazing, and I know I'm I'm not going to use. I'm going to try really hard to not use the four letter word. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that four letter H word um, in in this at all. But you know, you you rose above, and uh, you definitely did some extraordinary things, and they did not affect me personally, but I say thank you for what you did because it is obviously a very good thing that you did. And obviously that you are still kind of carrying on that characteristic in what, whichever way that you can. And that's very big to me. So uh, keep it up as weird as that sounds or lame as that sounds. Thank you. You're, you're very, you're very kind. Uh, I wish you certainly success with with this important endeavor. If I have any follow ups, you know, if you have any follow ups, please uh, let me know and let me know when you uh, you know when you get it up, and I'll give it uh, you know some social media treatment on my end. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks again, Bruce. Okay, good to talk with you. I look forward to uh, hearing back from you. Likewise. Yeah, I'll be in touch with okay, you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Okay, and that was our episode with myself and Bruce Mendelson. Again, humongous thanks to Bruce for being on the show, for sharing his story, for allowing us into that glimpse of that tragic day and to seeing through his eyes the actions that he took that are so tremendous and so selfless and so disregarding of what could have possibly happened to him in the course of his actions, as well as proving to us that, yes, we may not all be able to tie a tourniquet or whatever, and hopefully we are not all or even 2% of us or 1% of us are faced with this kind of situation. But it's proof that we as humans can do these very big and over the course of our conversation these very little things to make others lives better to make our lives better and to really just benefit humanity and it doesn't have to be that we are becoming a superhero and saving the world like you know you're helping that older woman who has four bags in her hands that she's trying to juggle while she needs to open the door. That could be a very huge thing for her. So these these things that we can do that are small acts are also very important in life and uh, I'm glad that I had that conversation with Bruce and brought a lot of that to light. 
So you can find Bruce on Twitter. His Twitter handle is BRM, as in Bruce something, middle name that starts with an R, Mendelssohn90. BRM90 is his Twitter handle, and you can follow him there. I will have a post that you can look at before this episode on the website, daddyunscripted.com, that has some of those photos that he sent over to me, including that photo that he took with his phone of the site from the window, and also including the photo that he was talking about that kind of became that press photo that was used all over that is so... He sent me those photos right before we started recording, and if I had not settled in for that conversation and been ready for it already those photos really like completely flipped the switch and I was ready to go and uh, ready to have my emotions played on so um, thank you for sending those over Bruce Uh, you can find Daddy Unscripted on the website where you can see those photos you can also find us on Twitter on Facebook on Instagram you can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com And that will help me get in tune with some of your ideas for who we can have as a guest. I should actually maybe put this in on the end of my shows, who I've sent tweets to over the course of the past week or whatever, trying to get them on, because maybe you can help out. This last week, I sent some tweets out in an effort to get Stephen King on the show. I think he would be a fantastic guest. I also sent one and have been sending some to Kevin Euclid. Uke, number 20, Red Sox. Let's go. I mean, some of you must know or have some link to him. Actually, I, I haven't tried as hard as I should, but Euclid has got to be on this show. He just has to be. So thank you for finding us however you found the podcast, whether it was on the website or on iTunes or for you Android users. I helped some of you out this last week. Uh, You can find us on Google Play or on the Stitcher radio app. So again, a huge thanks to Umphreys McGee for the use of their music. Umphreys.com, they are playing right now. They are playing literally in a couple hours tonight. They have been just completely raging this weekend. And it it says very good things about their uh, shows coming forward in 2017. Can't wait till they are here in March. Um, So again, you can check out their music on Umphreys.com, on Spotify, whatever. Thanks, you guys, for all your support and for listening. Tell a friend about the podcast. Let's keep spreading the word. I really want to make this thing a lot more solid in 2017, so I'm looking forward to that. And go out this week and change some people's lives. Do some good stuff. Uh, You can send me a tweet or whatever about it. I'd love to retweet that stuff. So thanks, you guys. (laughs) 